From the garden level of Harvard Medical School's historic Vanderbilt Hall in Boston, this is Think Research, a podcast that discusses the stories behind medical research. I'm Abby, your host. Think Research is brought to you by Harvard Catalyst, Harvard University's Clinical and Translational Science Center. Arriving at the emergency room can be an uncomfortable and disconcerting experience when you're sick. What if there was an option to be turned back around and sent home instead? In the past two decades, home hospital care has made leaps and bounds to make this possible for patients. Now, tailored, affordable, at-home care when you need it most may be the future of hospital care. Dr. David Levine of Brigham and Women's Hospital studies the effects of providing acute hospital-level care in a patient's home. Dr. Levine is a practicing general internist and clinician investigator at Brigham and Women's Hospital and Harvard Medical School. Dr. Levine, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. So you're a primary care physician and you're involved in research around the home hospital movement. What is the home hospital movement? Great question. It's something I'm very passionate about and that I do really love. It is essentially the idea that we need to get care to folks where they want care and get care to people in the right place at the right time. Um, And so it's all about getting, in this case, acute care um, when someone is really significantly suddenly ill and getting it to them in their home. And how is that care different from... Uh, acute care that you would get at a hospital like Brigham and Women's? So we really try to provide the kind of care that folks want and need and would expect to get in the hospital. So for some things, there's not actually a lot of difference. They are essentially getting the the care that they would have gotten in the hospital. But we're actually able to tailor a lot of things in a much nicer way when people are at home getting acute care. And so that might be that we're able to do a kitchen walkthrough with someone who has complications of their diabetes. We get to go through their fridge. We get to go through their freezer um, instead of having a talk about what to eat and not what to eat in, in, in the hospital. And so it can be a much more powerful experience in that respect. We can harness family members, caregivers when we're in the home. And it can really look a lot different than in the white walls of of the hospital. And folks have been doing home hospital for almost probably two decades, if not more. And that's actually been a worldwide part of the movement. And folks have been doing this in Australia, in Italy, in France, in the UK, in lots of different versions, right? Some people say you've seen one home hospital and you've seen one home hospital because uh, they all look just a little bit different and care for things in a little little different way. Um, but uh, suffice it to say that people are essentially providing that acute care in their home. And who is home hospital care for? So it's for anyone who's acutely ill and needs that level of care. And so this could be a 95-year-old lady with pneumonia who's actually normally very independent and lives by herself, but right now is having trouble breathing and needs oxygen and IV antibiotics, and so she needs hospital-level care. Um, It's also for the 20-year-old who may not um, be able to handle um, diabetes properly and may not be able to care for him or herself properly and needs to be acutely hospitalized because their diabetes is out of control. Um, And so really there's a huge spectrum 
What we really try to target are folks who would end up on a general medical floor. And so these are people who would need um, nursing care, physical therapy, IV medications, supplemental oxygen, things like that. Um, and we can take those folks and provide care for them at home mm-hmm. instead of in the hospital. Um, we are specifically prognosticating against care that would need to be delivered in an ICU or intensive care unit. Uh, we are not doing ICU at home, uh, mm-hmm. but we're doing hospital-level care at home right now. Could you tell us how you first got interested in the idea of home hospital care or home home care? Yeah, so I used to be a high school teacher on the west side of Chicago, and I saw the amazing impact of the home on my students. Uh, unfortunately, it was a very tough neighborhood. Kids would get shot walking outside of school. They couldn't even make it up four flights of stairs because of asthma. Um, and I would visit those students who were, as we said, then temporarily homebound uh, in their homes. And you'd see the power of poverty. You'd see the power of a stable home or an unstable home in a, in a child's ability to learn and, and heal. Um, and I took a lot of those lessons with me in medical school as well as in residency. Um, in residency in, in Manhattan, I, I was able to help start a house calls resident elective that helped to teach and experience and practice um, home-based medicine. I learned from some really amazing practitioners um, in New York and elsewhere who, again, were able to teach me and, and the patients were able to teach me how critical home was to, to healing and how much more effective we could be in someone's home than we were in our white-walled office. Um, and really getting care where someone was at was so much more powerful than trying to ask them to come on our turf, on our terms, uh, to try so that we could try to help them there. You mentioned that the home hospital movement or home hospital care has been going on for 20 years at least. Um, and you were a part of the first randomized control trial of hospital, of sorry, of home hospital care in the United States. Um, could you tell us about that trial and what was the control group? What was the experimental group? Sure. So the whole premise behind doing a randomized control trial is that a lot of people look at home hospital care and critically appraise it and say, you know, I'm not actually sure that person would have been admitted. I'm not actually sure that person needed hospital-level care. Maybe they just went to the home hospital program because it was there, this concept of induced demand. And they might be right. Um, And for that reason, prior literature is sometimes challenging to interpret because you don't know if those folks were really that sick and really needed all that care. Um, The way you, you can really fix that issue is with a randomized control trial. And so what we did was folks would present to the emergency department and the emergency department team would say, wow, you're really ill. You need to be hospitalized. And there happens to be this other opportunity and it's getting your care at home. And so if someone was deemed needing hospitalization and the ED had already called upstairs to the hospital team upstairs to say, I'd like to admit this patient, and the patient then agreed with this concept of home hospitalization, only after all those all those caveats were met, our team would then open up an envelope in the emergency department and say, hey, the envelope says home, or hey, the envelope says stay here in the hospital. 
So the control group were folks who um, got that 50% that said stay here in the hospital, and they went up to the hospital and got usual care, just like you or I normally would if we were hospitalized. And then the folks that we opened up the envelope said go home, our team then deployed um, with those with those patients. So half of our patients were very bummed out. They were still part of the study, but they were bummed out that they stayed in the hospital. And the other half, we had a lot of like hip hip hoorays in, in the emergency department because they got to go home with our team. Okay. You probably don't get a lot of hip hip hoorays in the emergency department. You don't get too many of those, but yeah. we, we, we did. So it was fun. So what are some of the challenges with conducting a randomized control trial of home hospital care? So enrolling anyone in a study when they're acutely ill is very, very challenging. You can imagine being very sick, not feeling well, maybe you're even not thinking as straight as you want to, or you're just drained, and you're in the emergency department, and somebody comes up to you and says, hey, how about this study? The first thing you think is, get out of my room. Like, I'm ill. I can't think about this right now. Um, so, and, you know, I, I totally get that. It is really hard to um, enroll folks who are acutely ill. Makes total sense. Um, so I think that's the first problem. It's just enrolling someone in a study, period, when they're acutely ill. Most of the time we do studies, there's days and days where you get to consider the consent process and what will happen in the study, and you come back for a second visit and things like that. We don't have that luxury because you're either going upstairs or going home. The second thing is randomization is uh, something that's hard to explain to patients often, you know, especially when we have lower health literacy folks, they may not understand, what do you mean? You know, even if I say yes, I still only have a 50-50 chance of doing this? That makes no sense. This is crazy. Um, so we we spent hours and days and testing about making sure we were talking about the study the right way and presenting it the right way to folks in different languages, et cetera, to make sure that we were presenting it as best we could. And still, it's hard. So uh, upwards of 60% of people declined to enroll in the study who would have been eligible. And that sounds like a pretty big number. Actually, prior literature has had somewhat similar numbers like that, depending on the site of enrollment. Um, but it gives you an idea of, even though it makes a lot of sense that, gosh, yeah, that'd be great if I could go home and not stay in the hospital, um, because people were acutely ill, because of this randomization, as well as a host of other factors for potentially why someone may not want to um, go back home, uh, it, it, there, there definitely were challenges to enrolling. Do people feel like if they go home, they're going to get a lower level of care? It's a great question. So we, we've actually done a sub-analysis of why people say no thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a whole gambit of reasons that people give. Some folks cite safety concerns. You know, I just, I just feel like it's not safe for me to go home. We don't, they don't have any great evidence for why that is. Um, but we, are, we have done a really good job in America of telling people that, that when you're ill, the place to go is a hospital. That's where you're going to get safe care. That's where you're going to get the best care you can. We know from really good work that hospitals are incredibly unsafe places often, and lots of adverse events happen. So upwards of 1 in 10 people that walk in an American hospital will have some sort of an adverse event happen to them. 1 in 10. Most people aren't thinking that when they walk in the door and need help. Um, so some folks cite safety issues. Other folks um, need respite or their family needs respite, and that's understandable. So they've been working for a week to try to get this, this loved one better, and they failed, and they're just at their wits end. They're drained. They're tired. They haven't slept for days. So they bring the patient in to the hospital. Um, you know, in home hospital, we have the ability to bring home health aides into your home even. That's another push-in service tailoring that care exactly to the patient. And so 
you know, there's some risk to that when a family were, would say yes, if they're at wit's end, like, oh, how do I know that home health aid is going to be sufficient for my loved one? And, and it's certainly a little bit of an unknown, especially considering this is not the standard that people expect in Boston when they show up to an emergency department. And so that that level of uncertainty can be very jarring for some folks and just too big for some folks, I think. Um, we've actually worked on uh, trying to put together testimonials of home hospital and things like that mm. to try to present that to patients. We're working on that still. That's not a, in operation yet, but working on figuring out how can we even better present what sounds like a crazy idea to some folks up front to help them be more comfortable with the decision. Um, interestingly, almost nobody declined to participate because of research. Almost no one gave that reason. They didn't say, oh, this is research. I don't want to do that. That actually wasn't the issue that, that most people had. Um, and then we had a smaller percentage, um, actually, of the primary care doctor or the specialist who referred the patient saying, no, I want the patient to stay in the hospital. Um, that was a smaller chunk, um, but still an interesting part of the, the equation. Hi, Think Research listeners. We're taking this break to let you know that Harvard Catalyst offers online courses and topics including grant writing, mixed methods research, and omics. Right now, we are accepting applications for our Introduction to Mixed Methods Research course. To apply and learn more about all the courses we offer, please visit catalyst.harvard.edu slash online learning. So let's uh, let's talk about some of the outcomes. And you mentioned that the that home hospital care is safe, it's effective. So from your trial, what did you find? Sure. So we published a small pilot study. Um, and I, I'd be remiss if I didn't note all of the wonderful home hospital work that has happened both in the U.S. and, and mostly internationally prior to what we did. Um, so there have been randomized control trials of home hospital in select small populations in Italy and in Australia, for example. And those studies uh, are all smaller studies, but they all essentially tell the same story. And that is that patients um, have very similar quality of care, very similar safety of care, higher patient experience, and lower utilization when they're home hospitalized compared to hospitalized in a traditional hospital. In our pilot trial, as well as the follow-up um, that we're currently um, submitting, we took an interesting bend. Our primary outcome for this trial was cost. So a lot of okay. folks look at that and say, ooh, we're not comfortable with that. Why are we looking at cost as the primary outcome? And other folks say, well, that's actually one of the most important things, because mm -hmm. if it's cost-effective um, and also safe and high quality and high experience, then we're going to do it. We're going to pay for it, things like that. Because when we started this work, a lot of, a lot of people said, hey, are you just making a boutique service mm -hmm. for people so the, the rich folks can go back to their home and get care? Frankly, that's how it was over 100 years ago. You would never would have caught somebody who was very wealthy in a hospital because you would have paid for your care at home. Mm -hmm. And so some, some people said, are you hearkening back to those days? And we said, absolutely not. This is actually a, a system and a, and a service and an intervention that we've designed for all walks of life. Very importantly, like I, I take a very big equity standpoint in the interventions that we build. Um, so we are in some of the nicest parts of Boston and some of the toughest parts of Boston, um, frankly, by design. And so 
we wanted to emphasize cost. And so we took a very um, innovative approach to, to costing things. Normally when we think of cost, we think of claims and database analysis. Um, instead, what we were able to do is actually calculate the direct cost of care. Um, Brigham was amazing in this respect and they gave us their internal cost accounting estimates. So we knew exactly what it costs to take care of a control patient who mm. stayed in the hospital. And then we were able to mimic that cost accounting system for our home hospital patients because we knew exactly what we gave them as well. Um, and we were able to compare those direct costs of care, unlike pretty much any other study that's done that, um, which would only look on the back end, oh, what did insurance pay? Well, that's very different than what it actually costs to take care of the person. Um, so I think that's a unique primary outcome in our study. And then the secondary outcomes that we talked about, a lot of them are pretty standard, things like 30-day readmission. We showed that 30-day readmission um, almost more than halved um, in our pilot. It wasn't statistically significant because of the small numbers, um, but we we saw an enormous reduction in 30-day readmission for folks who were home hospitalized. We didn't design home hospital to be a readmission reduction tool. It turns out it is, and we think that's because we're setting people up for success in their home. Mm -hmm. They, we see exactly what they need at home. We see what kind of caregivers there are. We see, are the medicines actually there? Is the nebulizer actually there? Can you really cook for yourself? All those things need to be in place so that we can discharge you safely from home to home. Right. And you talked about the small numbers and the fact that it's a pilot study. Is this, um, how many people did you enroll in the study? So the pilot study was 20, 20 people. Mm -hmm. uh, we've since replicated that. Uh, that finished up in January, and that will be published soon. That's 90-some-odd people in that study. Um, and then since then, we have been enrolling in a what we call a single-arm study. So everybody who qualifies for home hospital and wants to do home hospital at Brigham and Brigham and Women's Faulkner can do it. Uh, they can come home with our team. There's no more control group. And so we've done um, just about 200 additional people um, in that time. So we've taken care of well over like 300 folks in home hospital mm -hmm. so far um, and are continuing to ramp that up pretty quickly. And do you, is is your goal to expand that and give people, give everybody that comes to the hospital that option? It's a great question. Yeah, it's kind of the, what is what do hospitals look like in 20 year vision? Uh, I, I think we will see some incredibly large changes in what hospitals look like in the near future. I think we're going to be delivering a large proportion of care at home, not in the hospital. We're going to see hospitals doing what hospitals do best, and that's really, really complex, advanced care, surgery, intensive care, things of that sort, and not the kind of secondary care, right? Pneumonia, heart failure, not that kind of basic secondary care. I think we're going to see that moving much more to the home with these sorts of home hospital programs, such that we can even push directly to a patient's home. They don't even have to come to the emergency department. Um, or we can take folks who were very, very ill in the hospital and send them home much earlier with a home hospital approach in their home to finish up their admission. Lots of really cool ways that I think we're going to be minimizing the bricks and mortar of a traditional hospital system in the future. And you mentioned the cost uh, question that you looked at. How much cheaper is was the home hospital intervention that you found? So home hospital patients cost about half of what a traditionally hospitalized patient costs. Hmm. You talked about some of the issues in rolling patients. What about any resistance that you've encountered among hospital administrators or other physicians um, from your know, just power structures that 
you've run up against in the course of uh, piloting these studies? It's a great question because clearly home hospital is not a nationwide phenom yet. You could see a lot of pushback um, in in community hospitals potentially where they're clawing for every last patient to get into their beds because that's what helps keep the lights on. Um, that said, I think we're finding an enormous movement right now across the country, both at the federal level as well as the local level, to create a new opportunity to pay for this kind of care. So we at, at, at Brigham and Partners level, we have actually... Um, we will be signing a deal with a local payer to pay for home hospital care as a substitute for hospitalization. Um, there is no home hospital code right now, but there will be with this payer. Other health systems like Mount Sinai and New York are doing the same with payers locally as well as nationally. And is then, a payer like an insurance company? Exactly. Okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. That's okay. Payer is an insurance company. And the um, and then f at the federal level with CMS, Center for Medicare and Medicaid, uh, working to see how can we get home hospital paid for as a Medicare benefit and a Medicaid benefit that can then flow back to all the beneficiaries. There are a lot of really fascinating models of care out there. It's a, it's a slog to get CMS to or in, insurance companies to pay for them. I think there's some very real questions about these models. You know, that's why we set out to do the first large randomized control trial of home hospital because, like we started off saying, CMS, very rightfully so, might look at that and say, hey, that person didn't need any of that care. You could have sent them home from the ED. And then all of a sudden, instead of having the cost of care, we're just creating more care where we didn't need it. And that that's what we think about is induced demand, right? If you build it, they will come. So we don't want to build a whole bunch of home hospital programs around the country and then just have more admissions than we did before. That's obviously not what we want. We don't want to have a situation occur where we've created a benefit for Medicare beneficiaries of home hospitalization. And then all of a sudden, people are getting home hospitalized left and right, but they don't actually need it. Right. Then we've then all of a sudden, we've increased medical spending. We haven't halved it the way we should have. But if you structure it right and you have the right rules around what counts for an admission, just like we do in hospitals today, I think it's a very worthy process. They might not even need any Correct. care, yep. or they might just need urgent care or... Exactly. Um, I can give you an example. I have clinic as a primary care physician here in Jamaica Plain. I have clinic on a Friday afternoon. If I have a 92-year-old in my office who seems like she has pneumonia, and I sh she'll probably be okay if I send her home with an antibiotic, but man, it would be great if there's this home hospital. I could just call someone up and they'd be in her home an hour later and monitoring her all night. I'd probably want to do that but I don't need to do that. And if there's not really, really good stipulations on, yes, Mrs. Smith needs that care, then it's gonna be abused. And we see that all the time in any field of work, right? Not just healthcare. And so we just need to be really careful on how we create these new models. So what do you hope to see for the future of home hospital care? Great question. I'm, I'm incredibly positive uh, and, and excited about home-based care and home hospital care specifically. I think we need to see a more formal payment mechanism in this country come to fruition, and I, I'm hopeful that we'll see that in the in the coming years. I know we're already seeing it in the private sector, and, and then hopefully that will push over to the public sector as well. And then I'm also really excited to see innovation in different spaces for home hospitals. So for example, we were just awarded a grant through Ariadne Labs 
at Brigham and HSPH to study rural and ultra-rural home hospital care because there's a billion people in the world who don't have access to acute care. Well, what if we could deliver to them in their home? Uh, and so I think that's an enormous opportunity. There's a huge parts of this country that would benefit from rural home hospital care as well. So I, I think we're going to see not just major metropolitan areas starting to provide this kind of care, but all over all over the the country and, and potentially world in different sorts of spaces. And then finally, I'm really excited for new technology and new teams in this area. So. I am probably the last person to say that healthcare is a technology problem. Um, it's almost never a technology problem. But there are some very real technology problems in home hospital care. Uh, we don't have the, the sensors we need. We don't have the delivery technology that we need. Uh, we don't have the robotics that we need necessarily in home hospital. Tons of opportunity there. And then we haven't figured out the right team all the time, right? In New Zealand, they use letter carriers to deliver medications to patients uh, and help administer them even. Like, should we be using the UPS guy or gal to take part in our home hospital team? Um, we've already started working uh, tangentially on drones. Um, should we be delivering supplies um, in new, totally different ways um, so that we can really think to the next level on how to deliver care in people's homes? So a lot of really fun technology and teaming questions that are, that are going to be coming to the fore soon. Thank you very much for coming in. It's great to have this conversation with you. Thanks so much for having me. Next time on Think Research. Hospitals actually have a big and unmet need for uh, doing more entrepreneurship. And academics in general have these unmet needs. So they are accelerators almost everywhere and they are incubators almost everywhere. We are a clinical stage accelerator. So it's that what makes us different and that is unique for the Brigham. Dr. Lena Williamson explains the work her group is doing to accelerate clinical innovation. Harvard Catalyst Think Research is supported by NCATS, the National Center for Advancing Translational Sciences. Subscribe to Think Research on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. To find out more about our podcast or suggest topics for future episodes, visit our website, www.catalyst.harvard.edu slash thinkresearch. Thank you.